that's a real workout. <laughs> She's confessing in church. I'm going to start two ways. One, I'd like to turn the lights on so I can see you. I don't like working in the dark. And I'll take, I'll take all you got. And then two, I'm going to start in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Thank you. I confess to you this morning that during this, the musical part of our worship time, I was thinking, I'm not the right guy for this job this morning. So, Lord, there must be somebody else that you want to use this morning. And then as things progressed, he convinced me that, no, I was the perfect one. Maybe not perfect in that sense of none better, but I'm the one for today. So if you have complaints, you can tell him when you get home that he was mistaken, and you can debate that with him. For me, I'm just going to go right on ahead, okay? And we'll pull the plug and we'll fight the current together. It was, I wrote myself a sentence. I'll read it to you. I said, at times our need is, should be reduced to simplicity. The rush, the fast, the hurry, the complexity of life needs to be put on the burner, turn the flame up, and distill it down into something that we can imbibe easily. I mean, there's just so much going on, isn't there? How I many anybody feel busy this week? Just a little busy, and uh, or hurried. And in the hurriedness, you see the complexity of all the things you face. There's just a lot there. Anybody else? Just me. And I said, Lord, could we just put all that in the in the pot and turn the burner on? And how many have ever done the little science projects? We're homeschoolers, so. You ever distilled something down to almost nothing or maybe burn the, put enough sugar in water to where you stir it until it turns to syrup and then you boil it all off and you get little sugar crystals? Have you ever done that one? It's fun. And, you know, science in homeschool is a lot of fun because you blow up the kitchen regularly. <laughs> you try and have those classes when mom's not home. So you give times to fix things before she gets back. But you got to distill it down to where it's it's the intensity of it is not so large anymore and you can actually see what you're working with. I thought, Lord, I need, I need some things distilled down right now. I need to be able to take a breath. I need to be able to not just relax. I'm not looking for a peaceful, you know, under a bonbon tree relaxation moment. I'm looking for the ability to be able to see clearly what's happening. <laughs> I, I, I've, I see a few silent nods, so I guess I'm not by myself on this, right? Uh, you know, I, I, I related to uh, our first song, if I can find it here. I believe it's from our friend uh, Job, actually, mostly. You know, blessed be your name in the land that's plentiful. The streams of abundance flow. Boy, it's just so easy. Blessed is your name. But these other verses we should get rid of. (laughs) You know, let's keep this one. Blessed is your name when the sun's shining down on me and the world's all as it should be. 
But this road marked with suffering stuff, and there's pain in the offering. What do we do with those? Hmm? You give and you take away. When I walk in the darkness, when I'm in that wilderness place, is he still the one he said he would be? I may not be, but he sure is. I know they took a twist on the other song for me, and I I couldn't even get it going. You know, sorry about that, Ed. It was a good try. Whoever wrote that, we commend them. But I can't sing it. My hope is built on nothing less. I'm stuck in a different generation. But it's still true. Even though I couldn't get the new tune, I got the old words. My hope is built on nothing less. Nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I don't cut the mustard very well. I don't measure up. His word tells me constantly when I read it, especially the law, that I am nearly a perfect failure. Amen. I, I am. As Pastor Rob mentioned earlier, my best day, my most perfect offering to God is qualified by scriptures as filthy rags. <laughs> and I know I've said this before. If you've been here any length of time, you may have heard it. But for me, a filthy rag, and maybe you've seen one like this, where you walk into the garage where the car's been parked and the oil leaks and the little dust bunnies run around and get stuck in the oil pile. And somebody's taken that rag and mopped around and it was a failure. They couldn't get it up, so they just left the rag. And there it lays in the middle of that oil pool. And I stare down and I go, that's my best. That's the very best I can offer God. And yet he took a step towards me. This is where the tears start. He took a step towards me. And he said, I've got a plan. I've got a device. I've got something we're going to call it the cross. And the blood's going to flow, but it won't be yours. And I've got a substitute for you. And I'm going to make it right in the place you can't. I'm going to not only take my very only son and impale him on a cross in your place, but we're going to exert our almighty power and we're going to let him be buried and raised from the dead, firstborn among many brethren, and you get to come because I'm going to make a way for you to get there. Now, when I stand in front of him, I can't ever say, I sure earned this, didn't I? I sure did everything I could to get here. I can't, I have no right. I, I, the Bible's true when it says the wages of sin is death. That is all that I deserve. And it's all that you deserve. I'm just trying to build a framework here for our minds this morning that says, I am unworthy. (laughs) But he decided. That's what I like about God. He decides stuff, and that's just the way it's going to be. He decided. You know, when he spoke and put the worlds in place and put the planets where they are, they're still there. They still rotate. They still orbit. I still love stepping out of my backyard and looking at all those stars and thinking. I do it every time. I look up. I go, how did you do that? I just don't know that I'll ever comprehend how you did that. Nothing's fallen out of place except for every now and then a little what we call a shooting star goes by. I don't know what your thoughts are, but when I see one, I think that before the worlds began, 
and he was speaking things into place, he knew that I would be standing right there. And he said, I'll just throw this by. You know, six, seven thousand years from now, I'll just toss this by for Jeff in the backyard on his patio. And he's been born yet, doesn't even know where he's going to live. That was for you. And I think of all the ones I've missed because I wasn't looking. And he was still faithful to put them there. Our lives are like this. Life is like this. When darkness seems to hide his face, I trust in his unchanging grace. I can't see clearly at times. We can't see through the haze of what's going on in life. And we need some hope, don't we? I need hope today. Matthew chapter 11, I told you to turn to Hebrews, and I was ahead of myself, so I'll stick my notes in there and we'll go to Matthew. I don't want to get too quick ahead of myself, but I do want to finish on time. I just don't know what that time is. (laughs) Just kidding. I do know what time it is. Matthew chapter 11, now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in, in prison, John the Baptist is in prison, about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. My focus isn't on whether or not John was doubting. That's a different message. It's a simple exchange, actually. Go ask Jesus, are you the one? We've heard about the Messiah for years. I was called on by God himself to be an announcer of his arrival. I'm just asking, are you the one? I mean, I'm in prison. He doesn't know yet, but his head's going to be on a platter soon. Are you the one? We could spend a lot of time on this and just decide and talk about the fact that there's only one. You know, there's a lot of stuff being taught around the world today. But Jesus was very definitive, and he said, I'm the one. I'm not the two. I'm not the 17. I'm not six or seven choices of your liking. I'm the one. And instead of just saying yes, (laughs) sorry, Lord, but you're Jewish. You ask them a question, they answer a question, you know. They don't really ever say yes or no. Hey, do you have that suit? You like that suit? I like that suit. We have that suit. Do you have it in a 42 regular? Are you a 42 regular? I am a 42 regular. We have it in a 42 regular. And then they just kind of got to work at it. Do you have it in black? Do you like black? I like blue. We have it in blue. Jesus, go, go ask Jesus, are you the one? 
John's Jesus' friend. <laughs> He's in prison. Jesus knows how it comes out. He says, go back and tell him this. And he quotes from Isaiah chapter 61. See, these, this is one of the prophecies. Some say six, some say 900 years before Jesus arrives. Isaiah lays this out as a prophetic utterance about the one that's coming, the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And it goes on. But this is Jesus' reply to John the Baptist. Am I the one? Go tell John what you see happening. This passage in Isaiah about the one is being fulfilled today. Yes, I'm the one is the answer. We know in John chapter 14, Thomas, again, maybe another doubter. Maybe, maybe John the Baptist was doubting. I don't think he was personally. And I don't like referring to Thomas as the doubting Thomas. I think he was just an honest inquirer. I'm going away. Where are you going? We don't know how you're going to get there. Verse 6, Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Jesus replies, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and the words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works? Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Jesus giving us again the truth. I am the one. You want to see the Father? Look at me. If you can't see me for who I am, then look at the works that are being fulfilled, the prophecies that are coming true. And maybe an aside, some of you are a little more educated than I am, of course, and um, Think about mathematical probabilities. Josh McDowell, in one of his books, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, wrote out the probabilities of one man fulfilling eight prophecies in his own lifetime, taking eight prophecies from Scripture and fulfilling them in one man's lifetime. The probabilities is this number I can't even say, but it's multiple quadrillions and is depicted by a one followed by 40 zeros. And the illustration of that number is this. By Josh McDowell, you take a silver dollar, which we don't see many of anymore, and you paint it red. And then you go to the state of Texas and you fill the entire state of Texas with silver dollars, two feet deep. And then you toss your red silver dollar into the state of Texas, anywhere you choose, and stir the state. And then reach in anywhere you choose in the state of Texas and pull out on the very first attempt, the red one. He says that's the odds or the mathematical probabilities of one man fulfilling eight prophecies from Scripture 
in one lifetime. Now, I don't know about you, but that astounds me. And what further astounds me is that Jesus fulfilled more than 40 without breaking much of a sweat until Gethsemane. Is he the one? <laughs> it, it doesn't matter if you're even a non-believer or you're a poo-pooer of Jesus. You say, no, he's not the one. Unless you got better math than that, you can't take my Jesus away from me because he is the one. And when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I'm going to believe it. John eight fifty eight, just a few chapters before 14, of course. Classic passage. There's a debate going on with the Jews again about Abraham's seed and who's the father. And the father's the father of the Jews, the father of Abraham. And this ruckus is going on. The question is asked, are you greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus says in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and he was glad. Jews said to him, you're not even 50. Have you seen Abraham? His response, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The eternally existent one makes this transcendent statement over all of history back as far as the debate was going. Are you greater than Abraham? Well, I was here before him. And when he saw me arrive, he was glad and he saw it. There's a lot of theology going on in here about God. But the simplicity of distilling it down this morning is he's the one. I don't have to go look for any other ever. I think of these first disciples. I'm kind of going backwards through the book of John here, it looks like. But back in chapter 1. Chapter 1, Gospel of John, verse 35. Your Bible may have a header over the piece of the chapter. Mine does. It says, the first disciples. Significant to me. John stood with two of his disciples, looking at Jesus as he walked, said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned, seeing them following, said, What do you want? What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, translated teacher, where are you staying? He said, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two heard John that heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, this is the verse I wanted to aim at, said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. The Messiah, the anointed Messiah means the anointed one. Is he the one? The first disciples to respond said, we found the one. We've, hundreds of years they've been talking about him showing up and we found the one. The anointed one. The one that's different than every other one. That's why I like it when the Bible says his, we call him king of kings, big K, little K. He is lord of lords. Big L, little L. 
Caden and I were having a chat this week. You know, he's, how old is he? What is he, five, six, five, five. I lost track just for a second. And, and he said, this, this guy I'm playing with, he looks like a king. I said, yeah. And then we went into, there's only one king that's over all kings. He said, really? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, who's that? I said, I think you already know. He says, I do. You know, we chatted. And I said, he's with you all the time. He went, oh. A little side for some of you, it's a squirrel. <laughs> you got to know the joke. I mean, if you don't know the joke, we won't tell it. But he said, oh, it's God. I said, that's right. He's the big king. king of, there can be other kings, but he's still the king of all of them. We found him, the one. That's Andrew to Peter, and we know Peter is at the end of my story today as well. The next passage is Philip and Nathaniel. The same thing. Verse 45, Philip finds Nathaniel and says, Hey, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. There's prophecy in there too. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, Come and see. Come and see. And then Jesus immediately proves himself to him by giving a word of knowledge about his life. All of that to say, distilled down, simple statement. In the time of difficulty you might be facing and I might be facing this week, the complexity of life, Jesus is the one. Let's settle it. The Bible says so. Jesus said so. The disciples say so. The prophets say so. All of history points to him. He is the one. Whether he's rejected by others, whether the world disallows him a place, whether the schools excommunicate him or our governments uh, move him out of place, try to. He is still the one. And in the middle of all the complexities we face and the stirring and the whirlwinds of life itself, I can hold on to this truth. He's the one. There isn't another one to hold on to. I found that when I let go of him and try to hold on for myself in another way, it is disastrous. It is futile. He and I talked about that this week. I said, he gave me a choice in a situation. He said, what do you want to do? I said, I feel like I'd rather just do this myself. I'd almost be happy if I failed. And he assured me, you will. That's, you already know that's how it works out. You, you, you do it a lot. You can't. I said, I know. I just wanted to say it. So let's do it your way, if you'll still allow that. I mean, if I haven't offended you to the point of where you decide to leave me to myself, I would like to go with you and have you help me. And I would work with you working in and through me. Then we'll maybe get somewhere. I said, well, we certainly have a better chance at that, don't we, than if you do it. I said, well, true. Now, if he's the one, I want to go to one of the greatest promises in the Bible. Please, one of the greatest, most powerful promises in the whole of the Bible. It's where I told you to turn first, Hebrews chapter 13. It's where we can start with it. (laughs) 
Hebrews 13. It's a great conversation. Let brotherly love continue. Verse 1. Don't forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable to all, and the bed undefiled. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said. Now, he, the one, the only one, has said. That's got power in it. When the God of the universe speaks, it has power in it. If he's the one that can not even have to lean back to say, let there be light, and it responds, and the universe begins to form, he has power to speak. And he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We first hear this in the scriptures. Well, maybe not first, but close to first. First few books of the Bible. We've got the end of Deuteronomy where they're getting ready to change the, the command, the leadership of Israel. They've, Deuteronomy is a second reading of the law to the people of Israel. And at the end of it, Moses hands off to Joshua to lead the people. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, 8, right in there. And he's saying, be strong, be courageous. For the Lord says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Moses tells Joshua. And then in the very first chapter of Joshua, Moses is dead. It's over. Joshua's got the reins to lead the nation of Israel. And God now comes to him specifically and individually and says to him the same thing. Joshua, this isn't Moses speaking. Moses, my servant, is dead. This is me, the one, saying to you, be strong and be courageous because I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I think there must be a difference between leaving and forsaking. We could probably get lost there, right? Leaving is just going away. Forsaking is very thoughtful. Look at the situation and decide, I'm out of here. I am forsaking you. I am decidedly leaving you. But he got them both. I will never leave and I won't forsake. God himself makes this promise, I'm staying with you. It's kind of easy to lose sight of that in the complexity of life. We can get lost. We can wonder. Well, maybe he meant everybody but me. I don't feel like he's here right now. I don't know that in this situation I'm in, he's really aware. Am I the only one that has those thoughts? The doubts crowd in. The pressing is hard sometimes. Joshua, as I was with Moses... So I'm going to be with you. He didn't leave him without an illustration even. I mean, if it was a brand new promise, God came to you and said, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you, and you were the only one he'd ever said it to, you'd have to prove it out. 
And there would be wondering along the way, is he or not? Well, maybe, okay, today, tomorrow. I'm not sure. It doesn't feel like it. But he arrests Joshua's thought patterns and says to him, be strong, be courageous. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. And as I was with Moses, and you watched that for a long time, I'm going to be with you just like I was with him. Oh, you mean that way? That's good. I like the part where Moses goes up the mount, chisels out the tablets, comes out, breaks them, goes up, makes a second set. And, and uh, they didn't have Xerox then, right, for rocks. <laughs> anyway, Joshua goes up with him, and the Bible says that when Moses comes down, Joshua stays behind. You ever notice that? It's a different message, but like, what a smart guy. He said, we're up here in the presence of God and this stuff's going on and you're chiseling and you got the Ten Commandment thing going on and you're going down. I think I'll just stay here. He was a smart leader. I'll stay here. Isaiah, you should memorize some of these scriptures right here. Let me tell you, if you don't have this one underlined or highlighted or something, you should do it today. Because these are old promises that live for us in scripture. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, Israel. Isaiah 43, 1. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. <laughs> I so need to hear him say that to me often. You're mine. There's so much in that. It means he loves me. He didn't just decide to, you know, put me on a shelf like a book in a library. Like, well, you're mine, have ownership. Yes, he has ownership. He is Lord. That is the cry of the church from its inception. Jesus is Lord. We just spent time in the book of Colossians and If there's anything you hear out of the book of Colossians, it's the preeminence and the lordship of Christ who lives above and he is the life-giving source of the body of Christ, the church. He's Lord. And he says, you're mine. And then he gives us the typology of the scripture. He says, "He's he's the groom and we're the bride. There's a selective process of love, care, desire. You're mine. I choose you. All of us, if we can't get the picture of the marriage thing going on, the Bible says we've all been adopted into his family. Adoption is a very specific process. You go, you look, you select, you take them home. Yeah, it's different than a bottle of ketchup off the shelf, but you're still making a choice that forever I will love, forever I will care, forever I will keep you. God says all of us have the spirit inside of us that cries out, Abba, Father, my dear Papa, you love me. Fear not. You are mine. And I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In John chapter 14 and chapter 16, Jesus teaches about the coming Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going away. It's expedient that I go. But when I go, I'll send back to you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. He'll be with you. He'll be in you. He will teach you everything you need to know and bring everything to your remembrance, whatever I've said to you. He is going to be right here with you all the time. I personally will be absent. I'm leaving. 
Where are you going? Don't leave us. No, don't worry about it. When I'm gone, I'll send you another. The Bible says another comforter. The another means one just like me. Another part of the Godhead, the Trinity, is living inside. I don't understand it, but I know it's true. That God has chosen to take up residency inside of us. (laughs) I laugh because he's like, try and explain that. I can't explain that. The God who speaks and is larger than everything he's put into practice and being lives inside. It's amazing. He says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to send the comforter, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside of you. I, I gesture here because one of the times I studied about the Holy Spirit and this word paraclete, para means alongside of, right? Cleat. If you're a worker, you kind of know what a cleat is in that sense, but you can see it that way. A cleat, something that holds something else in place, like a stake, right? And the paraclete, this, the definition of this word, uh, for me, the depth of it was, it, it's like he comes alongside and joins rib to rib with me. It's like he inserts himself into the, who I am and allows himself to cleat alongside, and he says, I will ever be right there. Always right there. Always by your side. Another comforter. He's not going to let you go out on your own. Why does God love us like this? I, I don't know the answer to that question. Why his great love for me and for you is such that he'll extend himself to this degree. I'm not just going to call you and then say, I hope you make it. I'm not going to say, hey, come follow me and then run off out in front of you and you can't keep up. I'm not going to put you through tests you can't make it through. I'm not going to stretch you to the point where you're going to break. I'm going to cleat myself to you. I'm going to join alongside and inside of you to the point that you can never escape me. And I'm going to love you the whole time. He's the one. And he is with me. In that same chapter 14, John verse 27, right after he says, I'm going to give you the comfort, he says, my peace, I live, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not like the world gives. My peace, I leave with you. Well, Why do you need peace? Why would you ever need peace? Do you ever ask the question, why do I need peace? Just because you can have trouble. (laughs) You can't, you wouldn't know what peace was unless you had the other side of the coin. Disturbance, difficulty, stress, pressure. Jesus said in the world you're going to have tribulation. The word is, means to have the air knocked out of you. It's in that moment you need peace. Golly, anybody else had the air knocked out of you, fall off the swing set? Oh, my gosh, how many times? Bam! And the lungs, lungs collapse and you try to breathe and it doesn't work. And for a split second, maybe it seems like eternity, you wonder, is this it? <laughs> Epitaph, fell off the swing set. Way, way to go. He died a swinger. No, I'm like, what do you say? <laughs> I had to think of something else. <laughs> I'm sure that was not any, anything that was anointed. <laughs> scratch that from the record. 
because you're going to have the air knocked out of you. Jesus said, I want to leave my peace with you. Was it an item? Can we frame it, put it on the wall, and tuck it in our pocket? No, it comes with the comforter. The Holy Spirit is peace, right? The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Peace. I'm going to cleat myself to you. I'm going to go rib to rib. You can't separate me from you anymore. And I bring peace with me. Boy, do I need that. Now I know he's the one. And now I know he'll never leave me. He'll never, ever forsake me. Told us in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in me is the only hope I've got of anything. But for him to live inside of you and I, Christ in us is his hope of being glorified in the earth. He's going to glorify himself through our lives. Why? Because you get to have peace when others don't have it. Not so you can go na 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 na, but when they throw you in the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Jesus says, hey, this is what he says, and I didn't finish Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. When the fire comes, when the waters try to overflow you, Jesus says, I'm going through with you. You don't go alone. You never go alone. Will you feel the heat? I don't know. The, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the only thing that happened for them was all the stuff that was holding them bound and captive was burnt off. But they themselves didn't even smell like smoke. And the world looks in and says, hey, who's that fourth guy in there? He looks like the son of God. Well, that's because it is. And he's walking with you. He's walking with me. He's not casting himself out in front. He's not pushing from the rear. He's cleated to me. He's within me. He's within you. He lives in his church. He lives in the body of Christ. And Christ in you is still the hope of glory. Jesus in his final words in Matthew 28. Do you recall this? We recall part of it probably clearly. Jesus came, spoke to them saying, these are the last verses of of Matthew's gospel. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And don't stop there. Because the last sentence is the one we're after. And lo. Which means, hey, look, right? Hey, lo. I am with you always. Even to the end of of the age. Interpret it the way you like. Age means aeon, and it's a kind of a long period of time. <laughs> but I want him just to be with me till the end of my age, or yours. Right? Uh, <laughs> I greeted Jim Dennis this morning, and you and he says, "Good to see you." I'm trying to rehearse this. Good to see you. I said, "Well, it's good to be seen," and you said. 
yes. That, <laughs> Being viewed has its own reward. Yeah. Better to be seen than viewed, although being viewed has its own reward. And I almost didn't catch it. I thought, wow, he, he shot me a good one there. But that's true. I got the part about being seen versus being viewed. Vividly, I saw the casket and everything. Oh, wow, that's true. But the other part was the subtle part. But being viewed has its own reward. Because we're there. We're done. So when Jesus says, I'll be with you till the end of the age, I'm looking forward to him being with me and him being with you till the end of your age, whatever it is. Whether it's tomorrow, next week, next year, or 50 years from now. Now here's the part we have to be really honest about. Jesus is the one. And this powerful promise of Scripture still remains, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. The truth of the problem in this truth is that we're the ones who say things like this. You'll never wash my feet. I will lay down my life for your sake. I may not sound like Peter, but this is what he said. Jesus comes to wash the feet of the sun. You'll not wash my feet. Peter, <laughs> I don't wash your feet. You don't have any part with me. Well, then just wash everything. <laughs> Peter. <laughs> A man is clean. He just needs his feet washed. Can you get here with me, buddy? <laughs> and he washes his feet. Later, Jesus is talking about the problems ahead, and Peter says, I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus immediately counters and says, Would you, Peter? Really? Will you? Let me tell you something. Before the cock crows three times, you will deny me. Not me. Aren't we all, Peter? Haven't we made these statements in our own way? We've declared our unflinching love and our commitment to him. And it was our best time. It was our best shot. It was our most high moment to say to him, I will do this for you. And then like Peter, the world came in and the winds pressed. The world, the flesh, the devil, whatever prompted the rooster and it crowed on us. And we heard it. Didn't you hear it? When it happened to you? Lord, I will never do that. And then you did it. And you may as well have a rooster living in your bedroom or in your kitchen or wherever you were at, riding around in your car with you or something. And it resuscitated and it crowed and you failed. And you failed big and you failed miserably. And the enemy was right there with a huge dose of condemnation for you. And said, see, you can't do it. You never could. You're a liar. You're a thief. You're a murderer. You're an adulterer. Whatever it was, he began to heap on you the failure of that moment. 
and the real truth of the moment, which we couldn't see in the time, was that he was cleated to us even then. And he had never left. He never left. We thought he left, but he didn't leave because he is co-joined and lives within. He never separates himself from us. In the middle of our failure, he was there saying, it's okay, I love you. Maybe what was happening wasn't okay, he wasn't approving. And he's saying, it'll be all right because I'm not leaving. It's one of the greatest fears I think people have is that somebody will leave them. Some of us have been through losing our parents. And that's a, that, they leave you. And it's painful. Or you've lost a child. And they leave you. And it hurts. And it's wounding. And that, that fear of being left behind, being abandoned, it's a big one for us as humans. It's probably even big for pets, but you know me. I don't have any. And while we went out like Peter and wept bitterly and felt the pressure of our failure looming over us, he said, well, I'll just sit here with you. You may not even know I'm here, but I'm not leaving. And I'm going to get us out of here. And he pulled you up out. And you still don't feel like you deserve to be pulled out. But he says, I'm pulling you out. He says, I love you. He says, I won't forsake you. He says, I'm not leaving. I paid too much of a price to give up on you. I put my life on the line. I shed my blood for you. I gave everything I could give to buy you for myself. Paul the Apostle said, what? Don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Which you have from God. And you are not your own, but you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Both belong to God. I think that's 1 Corinthians. Might be 2 Corinthians 6.19. He's the one. He won't leave. He won't forsake. And we failed him. That's number three. We failed. And then when he brings us up out of our failure, Peter, John chapter 21, having lunch on the beach, a little barbecue on the beach. Jesus is so creative. I mean, they're out fishing, right? They're catching nothing again, those great fishermen. I'm not a fisherman. I live near a lake. I think I've skied on the lake maybe a half a dozen times my whole 40-some years here. I think I've been fishing twice. You know, they say it would be called, if it was easy, it would be called catching. <laughs> anyway, that's for all the fishermen. <laughs> and they look up and out on the beach, there's somebody got a little barbecue going. And he shouts out, uh, hey, boys, did you catch anything? I... I don't even recall. I'd have to look to see if they answered. But really the answer was no, again. Until John goes, oh, Peter. That's him. 
raised from the dead. That's him. And he throws off his clothes and swims for shore. Right? Did I get that right? Or was it John that was doing the swimming? He beats feet for the beach. He gets there. And the, and the Bible says they're still a little uncertain if this is really him or not. You guys, I got a little breakfast for you boys. A little broiled fish here and a few things. And let's, let's eat. And in the breaking and eating, that's why fellowship and community is such a blessing. When you eat together and you let your hair down and you spill food on each other, and you just finally get real. You know, man, that's good. And it's, oops, and uh, it's on your shirt, and you go, well, I'm with friends. It's okay. And then you have community. Anyway, they're eating fish on the beach. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. A little bit later, Peter, do you really love me? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay. Third time. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know whether or not I love you. And the same question comes to us. In that moment, we failed. Jesus wants to come immediately, as quickly as possible, to your broken mindset. And the comforter who paracleted alongside of you is waiting for the opening of the door of your heart to be able to say, hey, can we be restored in relationship now? You can't get over the hurdle. I can. You failed. You fell on the other side of trying to jump over, and you didn't make it, and you hurt yourself. But I want to lift you up. I hear John chapter 15 and the vine dresser says he goes and he looks for vines and when he finds one that's not bearing any fruit, most scriptures say he chops it off, prunes it out. But there's a, a teaching in here that actually says he lifts it up. In other words, he picks it up out of the dirt and where the sun can't get through the vine to, to shine on it, it won't bear fruit. He doesn't just chop it off. He's not, he's not relentless like that. This isn't God. God is love. He's holy, he's just, he's merciful, he's kind. And he reaches down and he lifts up that little vine and he hooks it around another one. He washes the dirt off of it so the leaves can get the sun. And he gets it up where it's in the sun, has some of the other ones. Listen, can you hear community in here? He lifts it up so some of the other ones will hold it up. And then the sun shines on it, it gets warm again and the vine begins to grow. And guess what? It's not long, got a little fruit there. And when we're down and we're out and we're failing and we've tried to jump and we've splattered ourselves and the paraclete's saying, ow, with us, that hurt. Jesus comes and says, well, do you love me? This is the key. This is the question. It's not how good are you? Can you do it? Can you try over? Can you be better? Can you struggle harder? He says, wait, here's the question. Do you love me? I love you. I'm a failure, but I love you. That's what's important, that we're in relationship. You love me. I love you. You can't. I can. It's a pretty good deal. I can get you through. But if you quit loving me, if we stay out of relationship, if we're parted in our company, you don't have a chance. And so he makes the move to us and says, okay, do you love me? And it's significant, and other people have taught it for hundreds of years, Peter denied Christ three times. And Jesus asked him the question three times to pointedly restore him on each one. 
Hold it back. You, you, otherwise, Peter might have gone away and said, yeah, well, I did it three times. He only asked me once. So I'm not sure I'm restored. Peter could go home with his mind at ease because Jesus took on all three of them. And he'll take on all of yours and all of mine. And every time, ask the same question, do you love me? Can you be restored with me today? For your assurance, one last scripture, John 17. Jesus is praying for us as his body. And I'm not going to read the whole prayer. Don't flinch. 26 verses, oh my, we'll be here another hour. I just want to draw us down to verse 11 and 12. Jesus is talking to his father. He's not talking to us. He's having fellowship with the father. I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Father, you gave them to me. I kept them. I didn't lose one. This is God speaking. So the next time the enemy comes and says, except for you, he kept everybody but you. He's losing you. You failed. You're no good. He's letting you go. He's cutting you loose. You're on your own. This is such a lie. Because Jesus said, no, I got all of them. All the ones you gave me, I still have them. Father, I'm coming to you. Now you're going to have to keep them. (laughs) Hand off. We're never out of his grasp. Jesus is the one. He will never leave me or forsake me. I have failed him. And he won't let go of me. This for me distills down the week and all the stuff that's going on to help me see clearly what's happening, what's valuable, what's real. All the fluff and the blow and the dust bunnies under my car or whatever they are, whatever's ruffling your feathers, whatever's attacking your mind, this will help. To wrap your hands around the everlasting God who will not let go of you and say, let's you and I go together. You be the strong one. I'll be the weak one. It's a good deal. I'll fail. You won't. But we'll make it through together. Jesus, I'm not looking for anybody else but you to help me. The Bible says that vain is the help of men. We're supposed to be in community and help one another, and that's very important that we do that. We can't make it on our own. We are the body of Christ. We work together. But ultimately, we must cry out to the Savior He's the one that can actually help us. Amen? Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the truth that holds us steady. You are the only true and living God.
Jesus, you are the only Son of God. Holy Spirit, you are the only comforter that we will ever need to come alongside and paraclete to us. Thank you that each of us together, having you residing in us, make up the body of Christ, and we need and depend on one another as well. Lord, place us in community where we won't struggle alone. Put us alongside friends and brothers and sisters in Christ who can see our need when we're having it and stand with us as well. And help us in our better times of close relationship with you to stand alongside those who need it as well. God, I thank you for distilling things down and making it easy for me to get a hold of. I want to hang on to this and pray that you'll help me and help us to hold to the truth in Jesus' name and for his sake and for his glory. Lord, I pray especially this morning for those who relate most closely to this word this morning. God, that you will set their mind at ease, that you will come and overwhelm them with peace, the peace that you said you left with us. Let them find rest in this day, Lord, before another week begins. Let them find a restoring in their spirit and a resharpening of their focus and the help that they so desperately need. As the psalmist wrote in chapter 20, send help from the sanctuary of God. We need you. We depend on you. We confess our weakness and we confess that you are Lord. Rule over us. And help us to win in Jesus' name. Amen.